back to more of a comment than a question. I am your principal host, Paul Connor, and I'm joined by my sidekick, Rachel Hartman. Hey, how are you doing, Rachel? Well, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that uh, new kind of introduction there. Um, I, I'm doing all right, I guess, as a sidekick. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good. We had a little bit of a break uh, for the holidays, and I've had a lot of time to rest and restore my energies for the next semester. Um, yeah, I've been having a pretty good, productive week, and feeling, yeah, things are going well. How are you doing, Paul? Good, yeah. Uh, I feel like my life is semi-getting under control now. Like it was, it's been pretty crazy since moving to New York and December in particular was a very crazy month. Uh, my son burned his hands, a car broke down. I felt like really under a lot of stress from a lot of different projects, but like, I don't know. I think I'm in a pretty good place now. I think I've figured out how to be sort of semi-productive and the key is just not to sleep. I've realized that like I can just let Hugo and Shadume go to sleep. And then if I work an extra like three or four hours into like the night, I can actually be reasonably productive. Uh, and that's good. I've got a major project off my desk this week, which is always awesome. And yeah, uh, moving to Columbia university, which is like weird. I think uh, I feel like I found a back door into the Ivy league. Like I wasn't really invited, but I sort of <laughs> invited myself to this NYU lab that subsequently moved to Columbia. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to get to see what the Ivy league is like, which I feel like is pretty cool and not necessarily something people like me get a chance to do uh, very often. So that that's going to be interesting. And yeah, no um, new year, new me. I made a new year's resolution. Well, every year, actually, I make this New Year's resolution not to argue with people online. And uh, it lasted it lasted about the average length of time, which is like four or five days. And then I saw uh, this uh, psychologist called Jeffrey Sachs tweet something about how the signatories of the Harper's letter were partly responsible for the CRT backlash. And I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. So I just put out a snarky tweet of how the they need to reflect on how they my car broke down and that was their fault too in December and um mm -hmm. kind of disappointed in you uh <laughs> as a principal host of the podcast I don't know if uh, you deserve that title but I guess okay. uh, being controversial on Twitter is kind of what we're supposed to be doing so Maybe that's why I'm just the sidekick. Well, let's I don't know, let's try so let's mix it up. Let's let's be just equal partners. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. um, so that demotion, that's fine. All right, so um, I'll just take uh, control now and <laughs> uh, introduce our guest. So um, Paul Cernasov is a graduate student in clinical psychology. Um, his work focuses on psychotherapy outcomes using behavioral and biological measures. And in his own words, Paul has, quote, little patience for nonsense. Nonsense, sorry. <laughs> so I'll keep his intro short. I really butchered that. Um, anyway, hi, Paul. Welcome to the pod. Uh, are you trying to replace the other Paul? I am certainly not after that nonsense you just said <laughs> at the top of my introduction. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, I, I, and it's a good thing that 
Paul Connor has a nice Australian accent, so it'll be easy to tell the two of you apart. But um, we have two Pauls on today, so I feel outnumbered. Um, glad to be here. <laughs> all right. So the reason that uh, Paul is here with us today is um, Paul is a student at UNC uh, in the psych department, like I am, and we're here to today to discuss um, a controversial email exchange that occurred uh, <laughs> surrounding the Kyle Rittenhouse acquittal. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess I'll just jump right in and kind of talk about what happened. Um, this is, this all happened a while ago now. Um, it's like a month and a half. So after Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted, um, two faculty members in the department sent out an email to the graduate student listserv. Uh, it was a couple of days later. And just so that our listeners have the full context, I'm just going to go ahead and read that email. It's not too long, um, but I think it'll be just helpful to have that uh, in the background as we discuss it. So the email reads as follows. In the summer of 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Kyle Rittenhouse, then 17, fatally shot two unarmed men and then wounded one armed man during Black Lives Matter protests over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. During these protests, police tolerated and sometimes encouraged armed white civilians carrying guns to break curfew and patrol ostensibly in the service of keeping the peace. On Friday, Rittenhouse was acquitted on all charges. For people who have protested police violence in support of the Black Lives Matter cause, this may feel like a profound injustice and a signal that governmental structures are not aligned with the right to assemble. We support our students, faculty, and staff who protested in support of Black Lives and continue to exercise their right to assemble. We affirm the need for these individuals to be protected and supported, not threatened and attacked. As the Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor stated in response to these events, over the last few weeks, many dreaded the outcome we just witnessed. The presumption of innocence until proven guilty is what we should expect from our judicial system, but that standard is not always applied equally. We have seen so many Black and Brown youth killed only to be put on trial posthumously, while the innocence of Kyle Rittenhouse was virtually demanded by the judge. If you would like to gather in solidarity and participate in related actions this Tuesday, um, and then there's just details about that and a Zoom link. Um, and it is signed by the two faculty members who I won't name because it's not about dragging people through any kind of uh, mud or whatever. Um, but they signed as director and co-chair of diversity initiatives and um, in the name of the members of the JEDI Communication and Transparency Subcommittee, where JEDI stands for uh, <laughs> Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Um, so it's just DEI with another J on the front. Um, so yeah, so they sent out that email. And... Um, I guess I'll just pause there for a minute and uh, get your initial reaction to receiving that email, Paul, and then I can talk about my own reaction. Well, that email was sent the day of or the day after the Wakusha massacre when the van killed a bunch of people. Just the self-driving van went into the crowd and ran over the dancing grannies. Um, so I thought that the email, just from the headline, 
when I was reading Wisconsin was going to be relating to that. And I was surprised that faculty were so quick to, to condemn this and to mourn in some ways. Um, of course, five seconds into the email, I realized it's totally unrelated to that. And I, I felt like there was some irony given those events uh, that, that just trend, uh, unfolded. And so my first reaction upon realizing the actual content of the email was some slight annoyance because it had come not in isolation, but in the context of other emails that I'm happy to describe that I actually thought were far more upsetting than this one. Um, I'm I'm happy to go into detail about the most upsetting uh, incident, but on the back of those other emails, I was frustrated and reached out to a colleague of mine in the department with whom I don't share political beliefs or philosophies, but is, is a friend and I respect. And I just called her and I said, why the hell do these people feel so morally righteous that they get to present this information with such certitude that this is the interpretation of these events. And we assume that others are going to share these beliefs and, Hey, let's take action to collectively grieve and or send death threats to Kyle Rittenhouse's family. I, I don't know. I wasn't sure what the purpose of the, hour of action was in that specific email, but that, that should give you a sense of where my mind was at um, shortly after the, the email. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hadn't connected it, I guess, to the other event that happened. I think you're right. Like right before they sent out the email um, in Waukesha, but um, yeah, to me, I, I was just like annoyed and upset about the sort of, well, I guess like, let me back up a little bit. So when I, so initially I hadn't followed the Kyle Rittenhouse case very closely and I wasn't um, like well aware of the facts surrounding the case. And mostly what I had sort of what seeped through to me through all the channels that I've exposed to was just that like a lot of the, the main narrative on the left that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist out to like get a, trying to get away with the murder of um, black lives matter supporters or black people. Um, I had assumed that the people that he shot and killed were black. Um, I had also, I, yeah, I, I heard all of these like talking points about how he crossed state lines and um, had a gun illegally and that his like mother drove him there and all these things that at the time I was like, yeah, that's like so wrong and so relevant to whether he's guilty or not. And then have since questioned that. Um, so, but then after, and that was kind of what I was thinking leading, leading up to the verdict. And so I was, a little bit upset that he was uh, acquitted. And uh, I thought, yeah, like typical, you know, um, white people getting away with things. Um, And then 
over the course of the weekend, I just like read a lot more about the case and about the trial. And like, I just like learned that a lot of, um, the narratives that I had been exposed to were just wrong. And we can get into that more. Maybe I don't think that's really the focus of what we want to talk about, um, about, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, but, uh, I really spent a long time just like learning about what had actually happened there, uh, and, and why he was acquitted. And then like, as part of that, it was like really disappointing to me to see how, uh, the left-wing media and the social media, but like a lot of mainstream media that I was exposed to was, pushing this, uh, these false narratives about what happened. And like, it was how it was like so plainly biased and, um, ideological. And I think, I don't know, like, I guess typically I just think of bias in the media as being something like predominantly on the right. And, um, I think that is true, but, and so it kind of like caught me off guard to see that happen on the left and to see like so much, it was like, there was like actual like fake news, um, like headlines about like black victims, for example, it's just like not true because the victims were white. Um, and so in the context of all of that, receiving the email to me was like, wait a second, like this is all like, this is just buying into all of that, uh, that f- false narratives and ideological narratives. And I thought that this was like a scientific department that values truth and values like facts. Um, and well, one, like, what are we, what are they even doing sending a political email like that? Like, that's not, that doesn't belong in academia. It doesn't belong in science. And, um, even if it did, like, it's, it's just like, doesn't align with reality and like that seemed to be a huge problem for me um so yeah those were our reactions um other paul (laughs) old paul (laughs) what 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 are your thoughts um you mean in response to the original message Hmm. well I, i guess i have a different take the new I mean I it was really obvious to me always with the Carl Rittenhouse thing that it was like in legal terms completely self-defense and there was like no chance that he wouldn't be acquitted uh and so I I don't know why why because I I remember like watching video actually to their credit that the New York Times um put out and they had really good compelling video there was really good compelling easily accessible video right after the incident that could have shown you (laughs) everything you needed to know to say okay well that you know this is this is pretty clearly self-defense like you can see people running at him with guns like in 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 this in this footage And, and so i don't know like um i my response to the email just hearing you read it out is just befuddlement like i you know there's lines in it that i totally agree with but they just seem like total non sequiturs to the car like we we think people have a right to peacefully assemble okay right but they don't have a right to like 
burn buildings down and burn people's businesses down, right? Like, and you know, we we affirm the right for people they shouldn't be attacked, right? Okay, so Carl Rittenhouse also shouldn't be attacked. Like, do you affirm that we have the right to defend ourselves if people are running at us with like guns and trying to like beat us to death with skateboards? I don't know. Like, it's just, but it's not. It's not surprising to me. You know, it it wasn't surprising to me that. Um, so many progressives had sort of mistaken views about this thing. I think I've just become very cynical about the the media and sort of very progressive people and the, the sort of um, the importance they place on a narrative rather than like being very exact about what's actually happened. But anyway, it doesn't really matter what I think because I think like the interesting stuff happened later where you – instead of just sort of like getting this email like everybody else does and being mildly annoyed and then just going, oh, well, whatever, you, uh, you I don't know, br- bravely or foolishly decided to um, stick, stick, stick your foot in it and, yeah. and speak, speak out and offer a con- contrasting viewpoint. So tell us about that. Yeah, um, I would say it's it's probably foolish, but uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll let our listeners not mutually decide. exclusive. Foolish, <laughs> That's foolish true. and bravery are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. So I um, basically let that original email uh, sit with me for a while. Um, I wasn't actually going to respond at first, and then. I came across an Atlantic article um, written by Connor Friesdorf. I hope I pronounced that right. You murdered that as well. <laughs> Friesdorf. What? That's what I said. What, no, you said it? like no? Friesdorf. Okay, whatever. Yeah, and we can, I'll check the tape. <laughs> Words are hard. Okay, so anyway, this guy, this other third Connor. Connor, um, yeah. Um, never mind. There's a lot of Pauls and a lot of Connors. <laughs> so he um, wrote an article about how university administrators should not be responding uh, to the Kyle Rittenhouse case by sending like these like solidarity statements, um, basically saying that it. Um, diminishes viewpoint diversity and um, makes, and it's not the position of the university to uh, like enforce any particular political ideology or narrative. Um, And I just like thought that that was, it was really well-written. I am not doing it justice. Um, And it really like, it, it felt so validating to read that because I was like, yes, this is exactly like what I was feeling when I read the email um, from these faculty members. It's like, that's what they're doing. And, and here's like someone who eloquently wrote an article describing why that's a problem. So I decided to send it out to the same listserv that the original email was sent to, which is just the graduate students in the psychology department. And I just said, I recommend this Atlantic article, and I sent the link. And then I included a quote from the article, which I will read now. Um, So the quote is, 
Indeed, there are as many different views of what's wrong in the world as there are individuals on a campus. People also differ widely in which news events, if any, they find upsetting. Students and faculty should challenge university leaders who, as if speaking for their entire communities, put forth subjective assessments and notions of what everyone else thinks or must do. These administrators tell the group what they think it wants to hear, create incentives for people to hide other views, and harm everyone's ability to inquire and to learn from one another. And that's all I said. Um, so I just want to also add, like, I got some pushback on from people, which we'll get to, but one of the pieces was that, like, I didn't actually say anything myself. I was just, like, sending a link and uh, putting in a quote. And oh, wow. Someone told you that? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Who is a good uh, friend of the pod. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's not like it wasn't clear what point you were trying to make or what your view was from your... Yeah, I think it just... Um, I guess what the main thing that the criticism that I received was that it was rude um, mm. to communicate that way. Uh, harmful <laughs> ordering on harm yeah well i i, I also was accused of uh, harming people um but yeah just that it was uh i believe I, you were specifically harming vulnerable students whose rights were up for for debate was that was that who uh, you were accused of harming uh, whose rights were, i'd have to yeah. go back to the, to yeah. the email thread and check we can we can get into all of that, um, but yeah, I think the main so just like to to preemptively defend myself a little bit. Um, one is I think maybe that there is something to that. Like maybe I should have written out exactly why I think it's relevant, drawing the parallels and all of that. Um, one reason that I didn't was I was a li- like afraid when I was sending that email. I didn't. Um, I wasn't sure how it would go over and I didn't want to sort of like put myself out there as saying anything. If I'm just quoting someone else, then it's like, well, that's their words, you know? Um, So that was part of it. And then another part of it was just like, he said it so well, like, what am I, like, why would I have to add anything? Um, But yeah. So then in response to that, I, um, so there's a little like this is complicated uh, logistical stuff, but the it was I sent it to an email listserv, and then I received a response from one of the writers of the email from the, one of the faculty members, and it looked like she had responded to everyone, uh, including to the listserv. But apparently, her email didn't go through to everyone; it just went through to me. Um, But what she said was, hi, Rachel, if you'd like to contribute uh, to the conversation about departmental messaging around current events, I would encourage you to join the JEDI Communications and Transparency Committee, which has an established structure and opportunity for committee members to contribute. So at that, I just felt like I'm like just being silenced and told, um, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to and a right there are right things and wrong things that are to be said and uh, you didn't do it right. And that, and so you sort of like, you have to get your messaging approved by a committee if you're going to say something. 
Um, but there are a, a lot of people who read it differently than me. So that's uh, that's one point, I guess, that we can talk about is just whether that was an appropriate thing to do, um, I guess. And uh, so I'll just say one more thing and then I'll stop talking for a little bit. Um, so I got... So the pushback I got was one that it was just rude that I didn't say anything. Another was that I should not have replied all. I should have just replied to the specific faculty who sent the email. Um, and then another was that um, I was creating a hostile environment, basically, Um by pushing back against an email that was being supportive of Black Lives Matter supporters. Yeah, I want I want to ask you about that because what isn't isn't it the case that you were told secondhand by somebody else that somebody else had said to them that they had felt that your email created a hostile environment, or did anybody say that directly to you? It was it was secondhand. So yeah someone said to someone who then repeated back to me. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly what that was about. Yeah. 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 So interesting. I, I want to read, I, I, I dug it up uh, because I found it like one of the most annoying emails I've ever read. So I wanted to read one of the responses. So this is on the, this is on the list of um, thanks for your continued leadership. Okay, so this person, they're just aligning, aligning with telling Oh, shit, we weren't. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to beep. I'll put a beep over that name. Thanks, B, for your continued leadership. If folks would like to make space for debates around these issues, I kindly suggest doing so in established university spaces, such as the committee bleep suggested. Reply alls do not give students the opportunity and freedom to opt out of debates they do not wish to be part of. It can be exhausting to be thrust into an quote-unquote academic debate without consent, spe specifically if that debate relates to the rights of oppressed students whose lives are impacted by this particular ruling. I think reply all is being used inappropriately right now. And if you have concerns about the way this is currently being handled, individual inboxes, including mine, are available. Further, Jedi leadership are well equipped to have this discussion with you. Wow. I mean, I mean, that is just so condescending and just dripping with like this self certitude and moral certitude. So that's actually where I got involved because that email. I was not brave enough like Rachel or foolish enough to send a reply all to everybody. I told you, I chose to just vent to a friend I disagreed with. But when I saw Rachel's email, I was shocked and then sort of captivated by my email for the next few hours as these exchanges unfolded. And it wasn't until that email you just read oozing with, um, I don't even know what the best word to describe it is like sort of narcissism and, and, right. and arrogance that I decided to, to speak out myself. So I wanted to make sure that there was at least one other public voice of support for Rachel's um, action of replying all. And 
I, I, I tried to, I crafted my response. I, I wrote that uh, ultimately this framing around protecting the rights of oppressed students was really just a way to shut down the conversation. And it was reinforcing Rachel's initial point that ideas seem to be uh, needed to be curated through a committee before they can be shared with everyone. And in particular, I took issue with this idea that you know, certain students, they can't opt out of Rachel's reply all. Well, I, I couldn't opt in to the message about a very politically charged, um, you know, arguably ambiguous event. I couldn't opt in to, to receive those emails from the professors. I just got it. And, and what about the frustration that I experienced just, you know, without consent being subject to their political opinions? So I crafted my response. I I, I replied all, even as this student weaponized um, oppressed identities to try to shut down the conversation. I said, "We should uh-uh. clarify this. This student doesn't really have oppressed identities, right? They're just taking it on themselves to speak on behalf of." They're not. Um, well, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say <laughs> anything because okay, right, right, yeah, yeah. okay, maybe so, maybe. So. Who is not oppressed among us, Paul? Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, I craft the email, I hit send all, and then I find that actually the listserv has been shut down. (laughs) I can't even reply all. So uh, they won. Rachel lost at this point. But I messaged privately all of the parties that had been communicating um, with essentially what I just repeated over here and expressed that uh, I, I thought Rachel's decision to publicly speak out was necessary. Mm-hmm. I will say that sort of following the conversation, we had the continued conversation with the faculties and the students. I am sympathetic to the argument that moving forward, um, this kind of uh, rebuttal is better served in the context of working within the committee. I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument, uh, which is is the argument that the professors and the other students made to Rachel, like, really, we're opening our arms to you. You can come express your disagreement within the Jedi committee. Um, now, that is... that That's, that's a t- tough, tall order, tough thing to do, but uh, I just wanted to personally say that I, I, I was somewhat swayed by the arguments of... of these professors. I'm interested in that. I wanted to ask about that actually. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a committee and yeah, presumably anybody in the department can join it, come along to the meetings and um, yeah, be a part of this committee that's, that's like constructing these messages. But in my experience, and I, I've been a part of one of these committees actually at UC Berkeley and even wrote a couple of these messages, but we can, we can get to that uh, later. Um, there was no, um, there was no really defined decision-making process and I, and it worked very much like I've, I've in the past found a lot of activist groups to work, which is that the people that put in the most time and effort, they just kind of control how things go. Um, so do you, does this committee, does the Jedi committee have a policy in place for, you know, if you and Rachel did say actually decide to join the committee and then some other political event 
comes up where there's a there's a progressive take on it and there's a conservative take on it and the people the other people in the jedi committee would like to send out a message like reaffirming to the community that the progressive take is the correct take and 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 there's going to be a space to to process and have an hour of action uh, for all the, all the people that have that correct take uh, and think the correct way about these issues, and you you two said something like, "Well, we we don't we don't quite agree with that. Uh, we think there's different sides to this issue. It's a bit more nuanced than that." What would actually happen? Like, would you just get outvoted, or how? I don't think it it would work like the Supreme Court, where we write a dissenting opinion and <laughs> both versions get published. If if that's what you're insinuating, it, it wouldn't be as uh, effective as that. But I think their argument was that the voice of, uh, let's say, conservative perspective would help soften the initial message, the delivery of the initial message, and and therefore uh, it would be valued so that they could keep in mind uh, how to frame emails to be as, it's not really neutral, but as inoffensive as possible. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, so let me just, I guess, wrap up sort of the sequence of events. Um, so our listeners are able to follow along with um, our discussion. So, Basically, um, and prior to Paul's email, there were a few more exchanges, and uh, but then, yeah, eventually they shut down the listserv. Um, I think it's possible that it never actually got shut down, but it seemed like it was. Who knows? Um, and the faculty reached out to anyone who had participated in the exchange, which was uh, me, Paul, and then a couple of other students on the other side of things. Um, and Haters. <laughs> yeah. And uh, basically, well, actually, one of them had reached out to me earlier and said that um, we should talk like in person. And then uh, she extended the invitation to everyone else. And so we did have an in-person conversation Um before the break it was yeah a while ago and uh basically yeah just sort of talked about the appropriateness of these emails and how to respond and um a lot of it was seemed focused on um my takeaway was like two main things one was uh the faculty member who had crafted most of the email uh was pretty insistent on the fact that it wasn't a political email which i think is just wrong um but i i don't know if like i don't know how you could not think that it's a political email but i i I thought that that was like just interesting and funny in in that um sort of like being surrounded by and like being in a in such a like woke bubble basically makes it so that you don't even recognize when things that you say are political statements. Mm. Um, so that was one thing that we focused on. And then another thing was, yeah, their uh, sort of extended invitation to us to join this committee. Um, one of the things that we learned during that meeting was what the process is actually for creating these statements. 
um, which, okay, so the process is basically um, the committee exists and does other things, uh, presumably. <laughs> Who knows? You know how committees are. Um, and then every once in a while, when something happens, someone will reach out to the committee to say, I think there should be a statement on this. And apparently they don't actually initiate anything on their own. They just wait for someone to reach out. And Paul, let me know if uh, I'm saying anything that doesn't sound right to you because it's been a while. Um, but then once they receive that sort of request, uh, they, I think they maybe initially put it to a vote on whether to actually like write an email. Uh, and then if it, the majority says yes, then they write an email and open it to like comments and revisions and then send it out. I think that's pretty much the process. We didn't learn that process until we had that meeting with faculty. So I'm not sure how other people know that it's a thing that they can reach out to this committee and ask them to send statements. Like whoever decided that process didn't make it public. And so I never had the opportunity to uh, request a statement for my own hurt feelings, but that's all right. That's something that I can do now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but do you, then it's got to get majority support within yeah. the Jedi community, Rachel. So, I, But I could just I flood like them with requests and make them spend all of their time voting <laughs> on my requests and just like keep them busy in paperwork so to speak and so they never have time to actually write any of these emails but i think paul is actually going to join the committee is that right Ooh. paul i am strongly considering it you know i i only have so much time in the day but i think it would be worthwhile to mm. understand um, how these committees operate and also to offer maybe a, a balancing alternative perspective. I'm pretty comfortable doing that in the context of classrooms, uh, personal relationships, um, and professional relationships, so on. I, I, I think um, it is difficult to join a group that's seemingly organized under the principles that are almost counter to some of the principles that I might have. Um, and, and that's what has precluded me from joining this kind of a group before, but I will say they were pretty open, receptive in conversation. I mean, we didn't, resort into any kind of name calling not that we would expect that it'd be more interesting and exciting if, if we did and we can talk we could talk about that but um I, I think um they perhaps don't appreciate um in the first place that they have so much cultural power this this i would say ideological framework that uh that these people are operating under uh and by these people i mean the ones who would send out this kind of kyle rittenhouse email i think they even underestimate the amount of cultural power and capital that they have and how that affects people who might disagree because on the one hand 
they're extending the the offer for for you to join in dissent and and to me too to to join and express a different opinion but on the other hand you're right in that they really didn't even see their action as political they didn't even see that initial email as something that was controversial they really presented the information as though there was very little room for legitimate disagreement with the sort of core tenets of their their email so when that's the situation it's really hard to even start that debate it takes a certain kind of i don't know like uh personality like a contentious personality to be willing to engage uh if that even makes sense what do you think if if they were here and we asked them what was the purpose what was the goal of this email the original email what, what do you think that would say good question i think they would say um so like after george floyd was murdered there was a um effort among minority students in the department to put together a letter they called it the dear faculty dear white faculty letter in which there were a number of demands about how to create the more inclusive and representative um, department Mm -hmm. and in line with those demands was I i don't know if this was a specific demand but like i think they would use that as um sort of support for why this is something that's needed is mm-hmm. to create like a, a inclusive culture and environment for um, minority students. Mm-hmm. And they would say that um, failing to speak up about events that are clearly happening and like affecting the lives of students mm-hmm. would make them feel like their department doesn't care about them and that they, um, Mm. yeah. And that like, you know, their lives don't matter. So this, I think this is where it gets quite interesting to me because the more I talk to people and listen to people, the more I'm realizing that like this kind of stuff is real, uh, for a lot of, um, people from quote unquote, oppressed or marginalized groups right um so one thing that i found really interesting is um i've had a a few conversations with asian friends and two two different friends on two different occasions have said something along the lines of it was really upsetting to me uh during the that that period where there was it see what the media was making it seem like there was a huge increase in anti-asian attacks still to this day i haven't i'm not totally convinced that there was a massive increase in anti-asian hate crimes like i just have i, I there could have been there definitely could have been and, and i i'm not saying there wasn't all i'm saying is i haven't really seen convincing data that convinces me that there was and it because i i think like the media can make it it seem like the U S is just such a massive country. Like if all of a sudden anti-Asian attacks are what gets a lot of clicks and gets a lot of attention, I think next week you could make it seem like there's a, an inc- increase in anti-Asian attacks just because there's so many people in this country and a lot of violence is happening everywhere all the time. Um, so anyway, 
that's a digression. But they were saying they were really upset when all that was going on that nobody in their workplace checked in with them or said anything to them about like, are you okay? Uh, how, how are you feeling? Um, and so I think like if to like really like steel man, the case for these letters and for these statements, we should probably acknowledge that some people do want them and some people are sort of comforted by them uh, and do sort of notice their absence, do sort of uh, keep track of what's going on in, in, in society and sort of expect like majority groups to be um, sort of like you said, like speaking up about these these injustices or like making statements, checking in, making sure people feel included. And by included, I guess I mean making sure that people feel that everybody in that environment is kind of on their side, uh, on their side of this ongoing battle against oppression, I guess, right? Like there's this like just like a ne never ending ongoing centuries long narrative about the oppression of specific groups. And there's these acute moments where people need to hear that uh, you're on their side in their ongoing struggle against oppression. And that's like, it almost sounds like I'm mocking it, but I'm not like, I'm, I'm just trying to capture what I think is going on. And this is probably a good time to bring up the Berkeley statements that we put out. So I was part of a group um, after Trump got elected, the whole Berkeley psychology department got together and they were like, we have to do more. We have, you have to be more activists. Like how did, how did this happen? We, we really have to just get involved in politics more and do stuff. And they created all these working groups. And, um, I just like, I thought it was a joke because like I was an activist before I, I came to university. And when, when I see like academics pretending to like, care about things beyond their research and their careers. I'm a bit, I'm always a bit like skeptical. I'm like, how much, how much time and effort are you really going to put into this stuff? So anyway, like I eventually like joined one of these committees and became a leader of one of them. Cause I was one of the few people like actually willing to like do something. And so I was part of this like statement group and I kind of had an ulterior motive. I wanted the, to sort of get them to put out an open science statement. Um, which was something I, I was very curious if I could get Berkeley to do at the time, but I eventually dropped it because nobody else in the committee thought that we needed to. Anyway, keep digressing. We put out two statements. So one was um, when the Trump administration was using DACA students as kind of a political bargaining chip, threatening to sort of end the DACA program and deport, you know, I think however many million, 18 million DACA students, we put out a statement affirming our solidarity and support with our DACA students. And it was very like light on details of what that actually meant, but it was just sort of this symbolic thing of, no, you are fully fledged members of our community. We love you. Yada, yada, yada. We hate Trump. Yada, yada, yada. And the second one was uh, when Trump was doing that border, separating the families at the border. And, and the, the weird thing there was like, ostensibly it was like, well, we're entering the public. We, this is for the public. This is not necessarily in-house. We're putting this out to the public as trained psychologists, basically to say, this is a very harmful practice. And this, this is going to be very harmful for these children. And we know because we're psychologists. And it was like, the original draft was just like 
I kind of put together the original draft and it was free of evidence because I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't, I don't like know the literature. And then like somebody eventually said, well, it should have like some citations in it. Right. And so like, you just had basically a couple of social psychologists, like doing a quick Google search to try to, like, it wasn't it like, we were using the veneer of being like psychologists at UC Berkeley, one of the, these great, this great public institution, but it was, it was totally half-assed in terms of like our actual knowledge of this. And it was totally just a political thing of adding to the public pressure that eventually made the, the administration change course. And so I guess there was different motivations for those ones, but the DACA one was definitely, I would say along the lines of this, uh, we need to make statements to reassure people from marginalized groups that they're welcome, that they're valued, and make them feel included in this environment because those people, well, a lot of the time don't f- feel as naturally included as 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 you or I might. Um, so I don't know. That, that was just kind of a long-winded way of just trying to steel man the value maybe of, of making statements like this. And I'm curious if it sparked any thoughts in, in either of you. Well, I think certainly, well, first let me just address your comment about the equivocating of the anti-Asian hate crimes. I think there was a research study that came out that showed that, um, like 24% of them were committed by Donald Trump alone. Do you guys remember that one that, that came out just like a few, <laughs> few months, few months ago uh, in the wake of the Atlanta shooting, they were um, sort of trying to dispel the narrative that there was black people that were committing these actions. And they said, no, actually, look, it's all white people doing it. And if you dug down into the details, there are examples where Donald Trump tweeting that the, novel coronavirus leaked from a lab in China was like part very, very much like some of their evidence. And if you actually tallied it, Trump was like 24% of all the white people committing hate crimes. Um, but on a more serious note, I do think you're bringing up a good point, Steel Manning, uh, their argument that they're trying to be inclusive, like the committee, the I and Jedi. Do I think that some students appreciate these messages. Absolutely. And maybe even majorities of students appreciate getting an email that Kyle Rittenhouse deserved to be punished on the morality of the situation because we believe that uh, this should be analyzed through a racial lens. And if he were Black, it would have resulted in a different outcome. So this is a necessary message for us to put out there. So, so yeah, Probably majorities of the types of students that are in certainly psychology programs appreciate it. I think I don't doubt that. What what my question is, what of the students who don't appreciate it? What of the minority, perhaps student who view this as annoying as I, I, I stated, or perhaps even more than that for, for others, uh, really uncomfortable? Um, what if it makes people doubt whether their disagreement is a sign that they're really bad and toxic. I mean, perhaps the argument is just, no, those minority views are actually toxic and should be marginalized in the effort of this broader inclusivity. But I would say this, there's a lot of generalizations made about people, about um, 
attitudes that they hold on the basis of these immutable characteristics, namely their race, their gender identity, their orient, sexual orientation, ethnicity, etc. And this conversation now is almost operating under that framework that, okay, you have these two Asian friends that said that they would have liked to be acknowledged in some way. Maybe there are Asian students out there who don't view themselves primarily through that racial prism of being Asian. I certainly know that there are Black people out there who are in graduate school who don't appreciate all of these Jedi communications, view them as quite patronizing. I mean, yes, Black conservatives exist. They are a minority, and I wouldn't pretend to make them out to be a larger chunk of the population. But what do we make of those voices? I'll say one more thing. I agree with Rachel's takeaway that the uh, professors who sent the email were very um, oblivious to how political they were coming across because their view was just, this is so self-obviously uh, you know, moral, our, our, our take on it. The other thing that I took away from that, which was pretty shocking, was just how much they operated under these stereotypes. Because at one point I asked the professors to explain to me plainly how the students of color, specifically how did black students in the program have less power than I did as a student? I just, I just wanted to know in a very tangential, practical way in, in the context of our specific program. And the answer I got was that black students are shaped by experiences that they've had where they've been doubted by white people and therefore they don't have the self-confidence that white people have to speak up in class because they're worrying they won't be taken as seriously. Oh, and also as a professor who is white, I will unconsciously hold it against the black students because of my own implicit bias. This was legitimately a, a, a paraphrase of the response I got. And Rachel, you can clarify if you heard it differently. But when that was the answer that I received in the context of, of my question, I was just floored. I mean, I, I thought I was maybe missing something, some, some stronger argument about the power differentials. So I'm kind of also on a tangent from, from your point, but, but I, I, I would, I would say that we, we can't, just lose sight of what's happening here, which is that there's this tendency for all of us now where we're being encouraged to overgeneralize. We're encouraged to essentialize these categories and to view, yeah, of course, Asians will appreciate hearing AAPI hate, stop the AAPI hate, you know, maybe, but not every person. And so what, what, do, what do we do of, of the, the dissidents? Yeah, I think that was uh, very eloquent and well put. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's like we need some empirical data on uh, how minority students are receiving these sort of solidarity statements, um, whether they're conservative or not. I think there is something like coddling and condescending in that um, it's sort of like, like you, you you need to have your hand held. And if you're feeling bad in any way, like you need to know that you need to like 
immediately be bombarded with messages of support. And like, you need that more than other people because we're not sending supportive messages to like anyone else when things happen. I didn't, you know, there's, there's wars going on in Israel all the time. I don't receive any messages of support about like, you know, like I have family over there and I do spend time worrying about them, but email the Jedi. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Next time something happens. Um, Of course that would be, they couldn't send something out because um, that would be upsetting to people who, maybe support Palestinians and, you know, <laughs> so yeah. You could, uh, you could definitely email them next time I get your name wrong and get, well, a, statement, get a statement about uh, yeah. m- men misnaming. <laughs> like um, yeah. But I, and, and I think, so one thing is people, they could just like not like being coddled. They could also, I think, like a common um, reaction among minority people, like not just students, but in general, is just to these statements is just like more anger and frustration. Like, well, yeah, thanks for making a statement, like a blank, an empty statement that doesn't really help me. I don't need you to be like wasting time, like crafting emails. Why don't you do something? Which you know, like our department has an hour of action that is supposedly about doing things as far as I can tell. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how much has been done. Sending threats to Kyle Rittenhouse's family. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. That's a great point. Like at UC Berkeley, my God, like they, they made like five or six different committees after Trump got elected and, and there was just this, this, this just wave of enthusiasm that passed through the department in these big meetings where they like got together. And I swear, like the only committee that did anything was mine. And the only reason that that committee did anything is because I had just did it. And it was, it was so just kind of pathetic to me that like, it's like, who are you kidding? Like you, you, these people just sort of live in their like coastal bubble out there in Berkeley and, and like convince themselves that their research is making a difference in the world. And then this event happens that they, they all found super upsetting and they were just like convinced that they could just get their big brains together and, and take some small actions that would make a dent in it. But then, you know, their papers needed writing and their classes needed teaching and, and nothing, nothing ever came of it. And it was just so, I don't know, so pretentious and, and weak and I don't, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and and performative. And, and I just feel yeah. like, like there's so many, there's so many problems in the world and like everyone, like people who decide that um, they want to make it their life's mission to be trying to like help society, help people make the world a better place, whatever. Some of those people are researchers, but they've uh, supposedly decided to do that by doing research and like through their research, they're going to make things better somehow that doesn't. So I, I just feel like that means that they should spend their time doing research, like specialize, uh, do the thing that you're trained to do, that you're good at that. um, Mm. And yeah, if you want to like donate money to other people who can 
work, spend their time specializing and learning how to solve other problems, then do that. But don't feel like you now have to like be the savior of, you know, and it's like, yeah. Cause like, I just feel like in response to, um, to George Floyd being murdered, it was immediately the response was like, there's racism in our department. We have to solve that because there's racism everywhere. Um, but there wasn't, there's not really clear evidence that there is racism in our department. I think Paul asked a good question of like, how are black students oppressed in our department? I don't think they are. Um, I think and their their answer was again just plainly stereotyping, just operating under f- frameworks that are possibly completely false, depending on the individual. No consideration into those individuals' actual life experiences. It, it's total essentialism. It's 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 a shockingly reductionistic and bad argument coming from otherwise really smart people that are sometimes impressive but in this case not at all yeah and okay so i guess i'll just there are a few other um points that i wanted to bring up um so one of them was whether so just like going back to the question of whether the committee is the right way to express dissent and and um one thing that I forgot to mention was in response to the uh, email that I sent out, I got like four or five um, anonymous, like they weren't anonymous to me, but they're going to remain anonymous to everyone else, um, emails and messages from students in the department who thanked me for speaking up and for like voicing what they were also thinking and um pushing back against the like ideological narratives that are being like forced upon us. Um, And so like, I think if our dissent happened quietly behind closed doors in a committee uh, that it wouldn't have that effect um, and it would continue to enforce this um, existing, the status quo of like, everyone thinks the same way everyone's on the same page uh and and if and so then individual students who feel like they don't agree with it feel like they're the only ones um so yeah there's a term for that it's called pluralistic ignorance um and it's a problem so that's one reason why i think like replying all and having these discussions in public is important interesting do you think if you it almost seems to me that both of you are semi-convinced that you could join the committee and you you could actually change the the nature of the statements coming out of it. Do you think that's? I think we could join the committee and voice our concern with an initial draft. I don't think that the nature of it would change. It would still likely be an email sent out that condemns the verdict on a moral level, but maybe it would be softer. Yeah, because, I mean, in some ways, if this committee works by a majority, then, you know, it's inevitably rigged to just keep churning out statements, you know, reaffirming, reaffirming the views of the majority, right? So it doesn't really, and that, so by people saying, well, you can have your say, but only within the committee, 
they're literally saying you can't have your say because like if you have a minority viewpoint yeah that will not nobody will ever hear it just it'll be it'll go into the committee meeting and that's where it will die so i think you're right and and like you said rachel there's it's not even clear that you do have that much of a minority viewpoint when you consider all the people who might agree with you but not be willing to yeah uh, it's really i mean it is really hard to tell i think because uh yeah only you know a small handful of people reached out to me um yeah there were like i think it was four people um and then paul was the fifth who spoke up publicly um and so yeah i don't know how many students there are in the department but maybe like a hundred oh really that many i don't know oh yeah i guess so like across five years and each one is around 20 Maybe yeah. it's very hard to tell because there also weren't that many who, that were publicly expressing um, support for it. Yeah, like dissent from you, right? Um, right. So, although allegedly there was a whole firestorm of back-channel criticism of, of Rachel, how, right? Uh, yeah, how rude friend, I am. Friend, FOI request. Which, you can get those, <laughs> you can get those emails. Public university, right? Is oh. Really? That applies to our private email. I guess I so. Yeah, if it's sent by a dot edu, I'm pretty sure you can get them. But so anyway, um, so I think like it's it, yeah, it's hard to tell how many people think whatever. But it's I feel like it's not really the point. I don't think that we should send statements if most students would agree with it or shouldn't send statements if most students disagree. I think it like we should sort of decide that as, I mean, my, like what I would want is for the department to decide that we're not in the business of doing politics and we're not in the business of sending out messages that are politically controversial. And I think I don't like I don't think that there has to be a firm like line of you can't send out any emails. I think there are some emails that aren't controversial. I think after George Floyd uh, got murdered, sending out an email saying like this was an upsetting thing and we understand that people are upset. That's not a controversial take. It was an upsetting event and people were upset. like, I, I think it's like, I think, yeah, Paul is going to ask, well, where do you draw the line? Right. No, no, no. I was going to say, I was just going to say that like zero emails that were sent out after George Floyd said just that though. Like you, and I think you would have gotten in trouble if that was all you said. That's true. Because you had to say all this other stuff about, and this just shows that the problem of racism is still just this massive oppressive force in this country this country's founding principle and like we haven't made any progress in 300 years yada 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 like you had to you really had to go much further than this was really upsetting to see this guy be killed by this policeman and the policeman should be held accountable definitely Um, we actually got an email like that which was swiftly condemned by two members of the student body precisely because the email was like, Oh no, this is a really upsetting thing. And we want you to know that everyone, all of you matter. And then 
the response was, did you just say all as in all lives? How <laughs> dare you? Don't you know that this is a thing that affects? And so that was yeah. a, that, that, that professor, I've never seen a professor embarrassed over email so thoroughly. It was uh, kind of remarkable and it kind of set the tone like, yeah, you, if you're going to opine on these things, you better, you better have a certain opinion. Yeah, at at Berkeley there was um, there was a statement put out by African American students that was basically like all these statements you've put out are meaningless. We want you to defund the campus police. Like that's what we demand. And it was just like, well, that's 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 a big ask. Like campus police, you know, investigate sexual assaults and armed robberies on campus and maybe maybe give people rides late at night when they're unsafe on campus escort people yeah like so yeah i mean i don't know know, to be fair i think maybe campus police should be abolished and should be the real police investigating sexual assaults and stuff like that but that's that's a whole different topic yeah i yeah, I, I guess I don't know enough about it. I kind of thought the campus police were more or less the real police, but they were just a special, in Berkeley anyway, they're just a special department of the... Oh, yeah, I don't know. They might depend on the university. Anyway, yeah. The point, the point is, like, these statements are very political. I thought Glenn Lowry made a really good point about it, which is, is just like, you know, either you're saying something that is really obvious and everybody agrees with already, uh, in which case there's no need for a statement because, uh, you know, it's whatever you're saying is understood. Uh, nobody, um, no, like nobody just needs to hear it because everybody already thinks that or it's not, and not everybody agrees with it in which case, you know, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, but this, this goes back to like what you were saying earlier about like, there is a point in saying it, even if everyone agrees because it makes mm. people feel better mm. um, allegedly, which again, is like, an empirical question but i also wanted to just like raise the question of first of all like i don't think it's always been this way that um students were like have come to expect their departments to speak up about things that upset them um and so it's not like it's that's it's not like a fact about human nature that you are sort of like when you're upset about something you need to hear someone from your academic department say something about it um and you could just as easily imagine it expanding to other like areas of life like you know someday you won't be able to like choose your grocery store based on whether it's like affirming your uh experiences every week and telling you how upset it is about things that happened in the news like you wouldn't expect something like that why are you expecting it from your academic department um but people do expect that these days i mean i saw like after we keep going back to george floyd but like in that period after george floyd i I saw some weird stuff like i saw like a friend of mine on facebook was like kind of active in like the yoga sort of new age health community and was sort of like checking every yoga businesses social media to make sure they had said something and then was like publicly like announcing which ones had said something and which ones hadn't or which ones had said something but it wasn't quite good enough and stuff like that so like people people do seem to want to know that 
yeah. their yoga studio is expressing all the hitting all the right notes about controversial issues and is part of the fight against oppression and racism. So I don't know, like, it, it, I think we're already there, Rachel. Yeah, I think you might be right. But yeah, I, we don't have to be there. We can change it. We can just not cater to that. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask something though, like, cause you guys both are kind of making the case that it's, universities shouldn't do this and the main reason they shouldn't do it is because it's upsetting for the students who disagree right and i i wonder if like i yeah so i i i perceive a slight contradiction and i'm gonna have to go soon because the nanny's gonna finish at six um but is there a slight contradiction between sort of saying these people that are upset by these events and really want these messages, they should just learn to like go without them because they're part of a scientific community um, and just deal with the, the upset that they're feeling uh, because we don't want to deal with the upset that we feel when we see these messages and we're reminded that we have minority viewpoints or we don't necessarily agree with the, do you know what I mean? Like, are you guys becoming the snowflakes now? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I was I was going to frame it that way. Like, has it has it flipped on its head? Um, I would say that so long as there's a, a atmosphere and a spirit of debate, then fine. Let the majority or majoritarian opinions uh, be sent out in an email, if, if that's going to be the case. But we should be able to rebut without fear of some kind of swift takedown, some kind of lazy argument that we're harming oppressed individuals. Um, I, I would say that's, that's the counter vision that, that I offer like a genuine open debate, free inquiry, which is allegedly what university was founded to to do i can't even imagine that at this point but uh I, i'm kind of with rachel i, I prefer um, less political statements in general but if we're going to get them um let's let's really hash it out yeah and i think um it is it does sound like kind of uh, snowflake-y but i think that there there's just value to um to knowing that like like if you are a minority in your viewpoint as opposed to your identity um there we should make it known that those messages are um don't align with our views uh yeah so um i just got so distracted by hugo <laughs> so we have a special uh, guest Hugo, I'm not even. I'm not even going to try to uh, continue the part at this point. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's a great point, and that's probably a good place to end because Hugo is. Very yeah, close. you got him started, and now uh, he won't stop. He wants to so take over. About, about the car written house verdict, don't you fear? <laughs> um, okay. But yeah. All right. Well. It was um, great having you on, Paul. Also you, Paul Connor. Um, 
And yeah, is uh, I'm very grateful for you uh, be, being willing to speak out publicly and so, like supporting my um, foolish action of uh, saying something. And um, I hope you do join the committee and change things. And uh, I'll I look forward to sending a lot of requests your way for <laughs> statements in support of my feelings. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I look forward to joining the committee and to receiving your emails and to bombarding everybody with my opinions as well. Um, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, Hugo. Bye.